0: Telegram continues to be more sus. Dashlane, the password manager, goes kind of open source. We'll talk about that more. Data Broker had a data breach. Yes, that's a headline. And a lot more. Definitely a fun week. Welcome to Surveillance Report 120, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I am Henry from TechLore. I am Nathan from
1: the new oil. All right. So this week, our promo segment, again, we have the usual suspects. We have Patreon. If you want to support us in an ongoing Fiat way and get some perks in return, we actually just recently added a second perk. We lowered the cost of asking a question because a lot of you guys have been asking for a lowered tier. So we, we listened to you guys. We went ahead and added that. And then if you want to support us, in a recurring way, automated recurring way, but you don't necessarily care about the perks. We have LibrePay. That's also a recent development, but we still have Monero, tried and true, totally anonymous. All we see is how much you have uh, given. So those are the ways to support us. And we want to remind you guys that we are partnering with Monerotopia 2023, which is a cryptocurrency conference to give you guys a discount if anybody's interested in going. It will be all day, May 6th and 7th, plus a welcome party on the evening of the 5th. It will be in Mexico City. And it includes talks from all sorts of developers and contributors, other privacy projects. I actually just checked before we recorded, and I found out that uh, Key Jeffries from Session is going to be speaking. So that's really cool. I'm excited about that. There's going to be a bunch of workshops, and uh, there's going to be like Monero 101 – Advanced workshops about how to run your own node, privacy tech, best practices, all kinds of stuff. Um, I will definitely be there. Tickets are $99 for general admission, and you get uh, 10% off with the code no surveillance one. All lowercase, the, the number one, no surveillance one. And uh, just again, they're looking for volunteers, sponsors, uh, stores to run a stand, stuff like that. And you can contact them on their website.
0: Thank you, Nate. And then we're going to dive into the highlight story and, you know, just to kind of, guys, if this story was about Signal, if it was about Briar, if it was about any other messenger, we'd be covering it just as much. And I have no issue coming forward and saying that there are parts of this story that are still speculative, that are still unfolding, that we haven't confirmed what's going on yet. But it's still a fantastic write-off with important things for all of you to know and think about. So for the title of the story is The Kremlin Has Entered Your Telegram Chat. There's a journalist who was hiding from a raid. I'm going to condense this a little bit. And uh, she was raided and arrested. And then the officer told her that investigators have been following along with her private telegram chats as she wrote them. He was quoting her. There you were sitting there writing to your friends in the chat room. She recalls him saying he proceeded to dispassionately quote word for word several telegram messages she had written from her bed. They're unlikely to bust it down was a text that she sent uh, before they raided her house. Dissidents across Russia have found their Telegram accounts seemingly monitored or compromised. Hundreds have had their Telegram activity wielded against them in criminal cases. Perhaps most disturbingly, some activists have found their secret chats, which is the end-to-end encryption in Telegram you have to enable, which is not a default, um behaving strangely uh, in ways that suggest perhaps someone might be eavesdropping. And that's kind of where like the speculative side of things comes in because we don't have like video evidence of this. It's just what people are saying. Um, So this is kind of sending off some conspiracy theories and paranoia among these people. So yeah, that's kind of the side of the story that like we can't really comment too much on. There's just not much for us to work off of there. But what we can work off of here is this story does a very good job of summarizing a lot of the issues of Telegram um, on top of this recent thing that happened with the journalist and so um, they're kind of quoting back uh, Moxie Marlinspike who was the previous uh, president of Signal despite being Signal and like we're seeing the bias there he still brings up some valid points which is like there's a lot of misleading marketing towards Telegram because Telegram's messages are accessible to people inside the company every message photo anything that you do is accessible to Telegram via the database um, assuming you don't enable secret chats On top of that, um, Russian authorities may not even need Telegram's cooperation to monitor users at scale because Telegram has built that capability into an API, and people are able to abuse that API to do some really interesting things. Jordan Wilden, which is an investigator at the Institute of Strategic Dialogue, said that Telegram gives you pretty much anything. Uh, And they say that the API has been invaluable to his research, uh, because he says there are obvious risks with it, and it can be abused. So at the start of the war in Ukraine, for instance, he and another researcher found that it was possible to spoof Telegram's locations API to pinpoint any user within a two mile radius if they had Turn on their location, so countless users were accidentally setting themselves as a homing beacon. He was able to locate four people with an accuracy of one yard, just as Russian forces were trying to seize the area. Telegram disputes the level of accuracy, but shortly after, they actually quietly changed the code. But Wilden still found that it was possible to locate other users with an accuracy of around 600 yards. Although it would make his research more difficult, he believes accessing data about Telegram's users should be as hard as possible. So There's just a lot going on here. There are lots of other issues with Telegram, by the way. These are just a few of them. But um, it's a very good write-up that at least least asks important questions about Telegram because we don't know what happened. And so just a little bit of context, the journalist kind of narrowed this down to a few things um, because everyone in the chat was supposedly trusted. She doesn't think that there was a mole or anything. And the journalist also said that there are two core possibilities that she assumed were happening. Either she was infected with the spyware, um, like Pegasus, and that's how they were spying on her Telegram messages, or the alternative is they were just directly accessing Telegram messages. So again, there's a lot of speculation around this story, but it still asks some super important questions that we should probably get to the bottom of if Telegram is going to keep touting itself as being a private and secure messenger, which it very proudly does in all of its marketing. And lots of people in the privacy community ask myself and Nate how we feel about Telegram. Um, And just to the cherry on top for me, guys, Telegram has zero transparency about when it hands over user data. They have an empty transparency report, despite having officially handed over. This is official. It's confirmed. They've officially handed over user data to governments in the past. So stop using Telegram for privacy until we can answer these questions. It cannot be more sus in my eyes. And Nate probably has more notes here. And he actually had a little note here that I didn't say. So, <laughs> But it, there's so many. And to me, that was like the
1: big thing. That was the smoking gun to me is when the officer was, like, reading off her messages in real time, like, the, they're unlikely to bust it down. They're talking about, um, like you said, she was raided, and they were banging on the door, and she was home talking to her friends, like, what should I do? And they're like, well, I don't think they're going to break your door down, so just kind of, like, keep quiet and pretend like you're not home. And that's what he's talking about, like, oh, he read that message, they're unlikely to bust it down, therefore we knew that you were home. We were, like, reading this in real time is basically what he was implying. Yeah, and again, like, they go into detail about all the things you can do with the API. Uh, where was it down here? You can um, – the journalist does speculate that maybe Telegram is working directly with the Kremlin, although the API suggests that's not necessarily a requirement. But either way, it's super su- – yeah, and the, the last thing that he didn't say is I pointed out that Telegram's website still says under their FAQ, it still says that to date they have handed over zero bytes of user data. And again, we know for a fact they have. So yeah, I wouldn't trust them. Like clearly, whether they're working with them or not, they're clearly, they're pushing a lot of false marketing. Um, They're not really owning up when people find vulnerabilities. You know, a lot of companies will say like, oh, that was our bad, we'll fix that. Whereas they dispute it and then quietly fix it, which is never a good look. And at worst, they're now exposing journalists and dissidents and the very people they claim to be protecting while denying it, and at best, like or that's that's at best. At worst, they're actively working with
0: hostile governments. So, yeah, stop using Telegram. They're so bad. Use literally anything else at this point. And for those curious about what we're referring to, uh, Telegram has handed over data to German authorities and over in Germany, also and- India. And, and India, and yeah, there's just been several other stories, I believe, in over the, the um, years. I linked to all of those in my latest video
1: about encrypted messengers, so if anybody just wants to like peruse through those sources, they're in there somewhere. <laughs> okay, with that out of the way, we'll start with data breaches, and uh, we're going to start off with a data broker who had a data breach, which I just thought was super amusing. So the headline says, Truthfinder Instant Checkmate Confirmed Data Breach Affecting 20 Million Customers. For the record, this is not as bad as it sounds, and I'll explain why, but my brain went to the first... Um, The worst possible scenario. So this affected a company who's called People Connect, which is the parent company of those two data brokers, and it includes a 2019 database backup. So that's where all this came from. I'm going to quote the article. Truthfinder and Instant Checkmate are subscription-based services allowing customers to perform background checks on other people. When conducting background checks, the sites will use publicly scraped data, federal, state, and court records, criminal records, social media, and other sources, unquote. So people search websites. This appears to have included customer data. So a lot of these people search websites hide a lot of the information behind a paywall. So they might show you like the city, someone like when you look somebody up, they might show you the city they live in and they might show you like the last four of their phone number. But then if you want to unlock the full address or the full phone number, or, like every address they've ever lived at, stuff like that, then you have to sign up for an account and usually pay. Those are the customers that appear to have been affected by this. So yeah, when I first read this, I thought it was like, oh God, they just leaked all this paywall data, which this appears to be the people who signed up and said, yeah, I want to access the full data. Let me make an account. So this included email addresses, hash passwords, first and last name, and phone numbers of those customers. And um, I don't know if I said this, but for the record, that's what I meant when I said it's not as bad as it looks, because like I said, it was the customers and not like the
0: actual people who had their data stored, who probably never volunteered to be in that database in the first place. But I digress. JD Sports admits an intruder accessed 10 million customers' data. The intrusion related to infrastructure that housed data for online orders from sub-brands, including JD, Size, Millets, Black, Scots, and Millets Sports. Between November 2018 and October 2020, I don't know a single the, one of these brands.
1: I don't either. But for the record, that question mark was in there. I did not add that question mark. That so was actually in the article. <laughs> so I don't know if that's like a part of the stylization of the brand name or something. I don't know.
0: Dude, but you're I just as around, confused as me. <laughs> I walk around. People know. People literally know me as the guy who walks around in my little Jesus sandals. Because um, <laughs> I I literally wear my Jesus sandals every. I hate shoes um so i don't know that's just a funny funny, fun. i'm not gonna know any of these brands i assume these are shoe brands uh
1: sports i think athleisure i'm guessing
0: oh man crazy kind of like lululemon or whatever i don't know your guess either way the the breach included customer names billing addresses delivery addresses phone numbers order details and last four of your payment cards so if you do shop with any of the things that i listed whatever they are uh be be aware of this Arnold
1: Clark, customer data stolen in attack claimed by Play Ransomware. So Arnold Clark is Europe's self-described largest independent car retailer. The attack took place on December 23rd and includes names, contact details, dates of birth, vehicle details, ID docs such as passports or driver's license, insurance numbers, and bank account details.
0: So the next two stories are definitely related, so I'll just be covering them kind of the same way. So the first story, several Mint Mobile customers had phone numbers hijacked. Coinbase hacked around T-Mobile data breach. So in late December, early January, at least five customers took to Reddit to complain that their phone numbers had been hijacked. The common thread in all the cases seems to be crypto wallets, at least one user who lost 15,000 from Coinbase. So they all had crypto wallets with Coinbase, um, or other wallets. So apparently a reboot fixed the issue. But kind of the takeaway here is that it's likely the data breach, the T-Mobile data breach had something to do with this Mint Mobile data breach. And people were using this breach uh, in some way, shape, or form to try to get access to people's crypto wallets. So um, now on a similar note, Google Fi, which is Google's cell plan, Um, says that hackers access customers' information. So they have confirmed a data breach likely related to the recent security incident at T-Mobile because Google Fi also, I think, partially uses like T-Mobile and US Mobile or something like that, but I definitely know T-Mobile is one of them. So in the case of Google Fi's breach, Google says the hackers access limited customer information, including phone numbers, account status, SIM card serial numbers, and information related to details about customers' mobile service plans. Google said the hackers did not take customers' personal information or payment card data Passwords, pins, or the contents of text messages or calls. So it seems like Google's is pretty mild. Um, Mint Mobile seems very unclear. Um, Now, I I kind of said this in the past because Mint Mobile is really nice for just getting prepaid cards. Good privacy, not great security. I was actually able to bypass the 2FA on my own Mint Mobile account at the time um, because I was able to just contact support and ask them to reset my password. And they just did it without verifying anything. I could have just been a random person on the internet. So think about that when you use Mint Mobile. Expect expect maybe, like, privacy just signing up, but that's about it.
1: Okay, and our last data breach comes from Russia. It says a hacker group has released 128 gigabytes of data showing Russia's wide-ranging illegal surveillance of citizens. So the hacker group is anonymous. The data, which is mostly documents, comes from Russian ISP Convex, who allegedly launched a project called Green Atom that was basically mass wiretapping Russia. Like, it's basically what the NSA did, but in Russia. Um, Quoting the article, The data dump contained the information of thousands of Russian citizens who were clients of Russian corporations targeted by the surveillance program, which the group claimed to be operated by Russia's FSB, Federal uh, Security Service, which, by the way, used to be the KGB. The program's existence was not known until the data dump. Unquote. Um, There is also an indication that Anonymous still has more unreleased data. So um, I don't know what their demands are or if they're trying to do anything, but, yeah, they might release that data in the future.
0: And now the companies for the week. Apple Maps has a privacy bug that may have allowed apps to collect location data without permission. So this was a bug that was fixed in iOS 16.3, which may have allowed apps to collect user location without their permission. At least one app appears to have done so, and a security reporter has speculated that the same privacy bug could have been exploited by countless apps over an unknown time period. The app that was doing this was iFood which is Brazil's largest food delivery app. Apple did not immediately give details, but is expected to do so at a later date when more devices have been updated. So um, I don't know, this seems like an actual bug um, from everything that I can read about this. Luckily, it doesn't seem like it was mass abused in the wild, but it's just something to consider. It's why I'm always like, guys, minimalism, minimalism, minimalism. The fewer amount of apps you download, the better, because you just don't know what these apps are doing. So if you can always go web-based, try to go web-based. I think you can use Uber in the web app, actually. I don't think you have to download it uber app to get rides just as an example
1: okay our next story comes from google it says google works on blink based ios browser contrary to apple's webkit rule so for those of you who are just joining us a few weeks ago or i think it was late last year the eu cracked down on apple with several uh, anti-monopoly rules but one of them i remember was that apple may be forced to so right now all browsers on apple have to use webkit and uh personally i take issue a lot of people say that uh, on iphones Yeah, sorry, on iPhones. Uh, And that's why a lot of the time, if you ask, like, what browser should I use on iOS, a lot of people will say, just use Safari because they're all just WebKit. Personally, I don't agree with that logic, but I do understand where they're coming from. The EU passed a rule that said you can't do that anymore. You have to let other browser engines in because otherwise, because you control WebKit, it's basically a monopolistic behavior. Um, Google is now working on an iOS browser that runs on Blink, which is the engine behind Chrome. And also beyond Brave and other Chromium-based browsers, so Google is insisting that this is not related. They're swearing that uh, this is purely a quote internal testing tool to understand certain aspects of performance on iOS unquote. And they're like, no, 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 we have no plans to publicly release this. This is just for us. But in my opinion, given the fact that this coincides with an EU ruling, I don't know. It just it just seems really weird. Like, why would they make this if they have no plans to actually publicly release it? um, feel free to let me know in the comments. I would be interested to know if there's a legitimate reason. Sometimes there is a reason and I'm just, you know, I don't know because I'm not involved in that world. But to me, this just seems really fishy. I I think they're just putting themselves in position so that if slash when this rule goes into effect, they can be like, oh, hey, here's our engine now. So, uh, which for the record, I don't think would be a bad thing. I, I haven't heard anything necessarily bad about WebKit. Um, but I do know that Blink has a lot of advantages. Like it has really good, uh, site isolation and sandboxing and stuff like that so i don't
0: think this is necessarily a bad thing but yeah it's just kind of fishy yeah all these browser engines are open source by the way so yeah, yeah. apple's web yeah. for the is record yeah blink is open source
1: WebKit's open source it's it's all the extra stuff they add on top of it in chrome that we don't like so for example brave can use blink without using all the built-in
0: chrome garbage up next, oh my god, this is a big update, so I don't know if people remember, Anchor's UFI cameras, that was a big story, where it turned out this supposedly not-in-the-cloud camera was uploading data to the cloud, and not just that, but they were doing it in a completely unsecure way. Terrible, terrible story. Actually, Linus Tech Tips, like, they had them as a sponsor, and they made this whole thing. It was bad, and they just were kind of ignoring the problem, so... There's now an update. This is why you stay subscribed to the surveillance report. So after two months of arguing back and forth with critics about how so many aspects of its quote, no clouds, security cameras could be accessed online by security researchers, Anchor smart home division, UFI has provided a lengthy explanation and has promised to do better. You can go ahead and read the whole statement, but I'm just going to go ahead and quote like the notable things that they're looking to change. So they're now going to change the web portal to prohibit users from entering debug mode. Video stream content is now encrypted and inaccessible outside the portal. That is good. Um, then while only 0.1% of current daily users access the portal, it, quote, had some issues which have been resolved. That is good. Yuffie is now pushing WebRTC to all of its security devices as the end-to-end encrypted stream protocol. So they will now be implementing end-to-end encryption. Facial recognition images were uploaded to the cloud to aid in replacing, resetting, adding doorbells with existing image sets. But this has been discontinued. I forgot to mention that they were actually using some of that data as well to do things like train AI. So terrible. There was no recognition data that was included with images sent to the cloud. That was another statement they made. They also said outside of the recent issue with the web portal, all other video uses end-to-end encryption. They said a leading and well-known security expert will produce a report about UV systems. They also said several new security consulting certification and penetra- penetration testing firms will be brought in for risk assessment. A UV security bounty program will be established, and the company promises to provide more timely updates in their community and to the media. Great. They're now caught up to the bare minimum. All right. Our next couple of stories come
1: from Meta. So we're going to go ahead and combine those. First off, a hacker finds a bug that allows anyone to bypass Facebook 2FA. So this comes from a security researcher from Nepal, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce because I will totally butcher it. Um, But he realized that Meta did not rate limit attempts when entering the two-factor code to log into accounts. So a rate limit, basically, you guys have probably seen this before. If you try too many times, it says, hey, you're doing that too much you you can't try to log in again for like an hour or something like that. Uh, Meta didn't do that. So this person found that when attempting to log in, they could basically just brute force the codes. They were able to uh, basically take over a user's account. All they had to do was fish the username and password and... You know, that's already probably pretty widely used because, you know, people reuse credentials and things like that. Um, yeah, just really unfortunate stuff. But uh, he did report it
0: to Instagram, or uh, excuse me, to Meta, who did fix it. So that's good. I-, I wanted to just chime in real quick there. One thing I wanted to add here is, for whatever reason, I, I don't know how MetaWorks served any of their accounts. I don't have a single Facebook account. Um, but this required a victim's phone number. I don't know if you needed the phone number to get to the 2FA screen or if the 2FA was via a phone number, if it was an SMS two-factor code. But they needed a phone number. So for me, this is always, like, if people can justify having an account number and a personal number, um, like a personal number that you share with contacts, that way, like, your accounts are set up with a different phone number. So – or you can alias phone numbers when you can. I know it's harder to do that with Facebook, but – Just another selling point for why like your phone number should stay hidden and is another reason why I'm like not a fan of services like Signal that have, you know, publicly show your phone number to all your contacts because then you have to go out of your way to make sure you're using different phone numbers for different things. So again, phone numbers are not a good identity for the internet. And uh, by the way, I totally do not support the use of Facebook for any reason whatsoever, but
1: they do have a YubiKey support if you need it. So if you must use Facebook, you can have good 2FA on there. Okay, and then the second story says uh, documents show that Meta paid for data scraping despite years of denouncing it. So I'm just going to quote the notes here. Meta has routinely fought data scrapers, but it has also participated in that practice itself, if not necessarily for the same reasons. Bloomberg has obtained legal documents from a meta lawsuit against a former contractor indicating that Facebook owner paid its partner to scrape other websites. Meta has spent years suing individuals and companies for scraping its platform without permission. In some cases, it has accused companies of masking their activities and accessing sensitive details that require logins.
0: All right. Now, research. We've covered a similar story to this in the past, actually, but this is a paper, Um, Stable Diffusion memorizes some images, sparking privacy concerns. So just to kind of set the stage, because if I just read the notes here, it's not going to make much sense. A-, a lot of these AI data sets, I know there's sites like This Person Doesn't Exist, which like has this AI-generated face, which... Looks like a real person, but it's actually not a real person. But um, researchers have been able to reverse engineer some of this a little bit. So here's a new paper that comes out about this, which says, Discovering instances of memorization and stable diffusion requires 175 million image generations for testing and pre-existing knowledge of trained images. Researchers only extracted 94 direct direct matches and 109 perpetual near matches out of 350,000 high probability of memorization images they tested a set of known duplicates in the 160 million image dataset used to train Stable Diffusion, resulting in a roughly 0.03% memorization rate in this particular scenario.
1: So basically, they just found that under the right conditions, uh, you can pull up the actual training images that Stable Diffusion was trained on, which you're not supposed to be able to do, especially with things like Stable Diffusion are supposed to be synthesizing brand new images that have never been seen before. Uh, It sounds like the likelihood is very, very low, but the fact that it is there at all is a little disconcerting because you might pull somebody's real face or real artwork, which, in addition to privacy concerns, probably also has some, like, legal concerns too, so – Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then we only have one other research story. It's real quick. It says until further notice, think twice before using Google to download software. It says threat researchers are used to seeing a moderate flow of malvertising via Google ads. However, over the past few days, researchers have witnessed a massive spike affecting numerous famous brands with multiple malware being utilized. This is not the norm. I mean, first of all, just don't use Google, but yeah, but what they're saying when they say think twice before using Google to download software is when people will go to a search engine and look up, you know, like um, I mean, even if it's something legitimate like freeware, like, you know, you may not necessarily remember GIMP, for example, I don't remember their, uh, their web address off the top of my head. So I would go to brave search and look up GIMP photo editor and, uh, you know, use that. I, I think the real big thing here is just to use an ad blocker. Like this Just unfortunately become kind of a, uh, even if you're one of those people who doesn't have an issue with advertising, I think that's just become like a necessary cybersecurity tool is you need an ad blocker to kill the ads because a lot of these ads, might be malicious,
0: so yeah, just use an ad blocker. Yeah, just to just to outline that this isn't necessarily an issue with Google's SEO. Google isn't like actively like in their actual search results. Google isn't pushing malicious stuff. It's the Google ads that sit above everything else. So Google's pushing the advertisements for these malicious mm-hmm. links, um, and this actually goes back to a story uh, I think uh, like back in 2021 where where it came out that even the CIA and the NSA are using ad blockers to stay safe online. Um, because of this concern, and I think there was a recent story that came out recently. Yeah, that, um, just a few just, weeks ago, the, uh, yeah. the FBI,
1: I think, advised people to start using ad blockers for security purposes.
0: Yep, it's for reasons like this like people are abusing advertising in order to push things like, oh, download yeah. GIMP. Here, because it looks like the top link, it might look like the gimp link, you don't see the advertising thing. So that's another thing Google can maybe make advertisements a little bit more clear to users because it's pretty hidden to tell what's an ad and what's not an ad on Google. So it's a multi-layered issue, but it's pretty cool nonetheless, I think. All right, and now the political section. So the FTC is taking on telehealth's data sharing problem, starting with GoodRx. So, in a first of a kind action with broad implications for the telehealth industry, the Federal Trade Commission on Wednesday sought a court order to prevent GoodRx, which is a popular site that has discounts on prescription drugs, from sharing users' sensitive health data for advertising purposes. The FTC alleges that GoodRx, which allows shoppers to compare drug prices and access discounts, promised never to share health data with advertisers but nonetheless sent details about customers' medications and medical conditions to Facebook, Google, and other companies via invisible digital trackers installed on its website. So, a few things here. One, I will say, I think it's really interesting because I think the one form of privacy that the U.S. actually has that people seem to actually give a damn about is health privacy. People seem to care about the, the, the privacy of their personal health. But even when this migrates to the digital world, for some reason, something gets lost there. I feel like people don't really take health privacy as seriously the moment that it goes digital, which maybe is something for like myself and people to reflect on. Of like, Is the privacy concern more so just a digital disconnect? Like People don't re- really see the privacy issues happening, so they don't... I don't know. Something to think about, just a question I have there. But,
1: I mean, they're a for-profit app, so I've always been kind of sketchy about them. But, like, I'm with you. I don't think this was an intentional, like, hey, let's go in and track our users. I think it was probably more like, you know, they added the standard issue, Google Analytics, probably the Metapixel, stuff like that. But it is either way, regardless, it is nice to see the FTC. Like you said, like a lot of people just don't think about it. And it's nice to see the FTC stepping up and being like, hey, this is health data. This is especially sensitive. This is something we can all agree is sensitive. Like you need to shape up. And I think that's really good. Okay. Our next story is going to sound really familiar to longtime listeners. It says, European police arrest 42 after cracking Covert app. Now, for those of you who are wondering, uh, you know, we'll just, I I mean, okay, so it's a pretty straightforward story. I mean, the headline really says it all. This was another one of those, like, super secure apps that was marketed specifically towards criminals. Um, I think they even, so I did try to look this messenger up. It was called the Exclue Messenger. And I think they did the whole, like, we sell you a whole phone that comes. Interestingly, it came with several messengers, including Threema which I have mixed feelings about. Yeah, so this was another one of those, like, messengers that was specifically catering towards criminal. And there were a lot of red flags, in my opinion. Like, the fact that nowhere did any of them claim to be open source or have a link to a GitHub or anything like that. So they were clearly not open source. Uh, Which, for the record, we're always the first ones to say, like, open source doesn't necessarily automatically mean it's secure, but it goes a long way for transparency and assuring people. Just, I don't know, man. I mean, to be fair, when you read their website, I guess it's not... In my opinion, it's not obvious that they're catering towards criminals. It's just the usual, like, you know, we have a panic button, which I'm assuming didn't work if they were able to arrest 42 people. Uh, you know, we have, like, we offer you top security and all just the usual marketing buzzwords. But, yeah, it's just – I don't know. I guess this just kind of proves my point. Like, we went on that tangent a while back about how, like, there's too many messengers and, and people just keep making messengers. Like, just go with something trusted. And if you don't trust Signal, fine. Fine. Like, personally, I do, but that's fine if you don't trust them. There's a lot of other great options out there. There's Session. There's, again, Threema's okay. It's a little weird they were included on this app, but whatever. Like, you know, there's, um, what else is out there? There's Briar, if you're talking to Android users. Um, SimpleX is getting really, really popular nowadays. It's got some good reviews from some people out there. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Ma- yeah, Matrix. Forgot about Matrix. Matrix is totally fine. Like, there's so many good open source options that already exist and have already been reviewed by experts and at very least are good enough if not great. It's like we don't need to keep going with these messengers nobody's
0: ever heard of. It's just I don't know. It's almost at this point it's like what did they expect? Like of course it was a honeypot. Yeah and um so I just quickly checked out the site for me the glaring red flags just to share how I would look at this. A it requires a license. Um, oh yeah i forgot about that (laughs) so so it says the first thing buy license need a license key buy one now anything that is like a license especially for something like an n10 encrypted messenger people security cryptography i i don't care what the situation is cryptography should be open source that's just like layer one of like is this even a decent did you option did you Um, see how much the license costs i let me check i want to see your reaction Oh my god. Ridiculous. <laughs> so it's just buy three, a 3 month license. <laughs> it's 3 months people for 500 euros and then 6 months for 900 euros. Let me tell you people <laughs> no, there's no there's no like <laughs> just spend a lot of money and become instantly private option out there. Okay? If anyone's doing that, don't do it. Don't buy things that require a license or a subscription that like are like are like this that are i guess that's that's a weird way of wording it don't don't use proprietary things that are locked behind a super expensive subscription with no information about the technology or anything around it super sus the other layer to this too is it's it's a whole phone yeah that's what i mean like they do they, offer an entire
1: phone and if they, you scroll to the bottom of the website you can see all the other apps that are included it's Signal a whole is
0: interestingly not on there it's a phone that they ship you people and like all the pictures that I'm seeing are, it looks like an iPhone six. <laughs> but I, I didn't
1: wouldn't actually know. Look at
0: pictures of the phone. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. They're not, they're not saying what phone they ship you, but they say things like hardened security policies. But if it's an iPhone, there's not really any hardened security policies to, to to have on an iPhone, unless they're like jailbreaking it and doing something crazy to it. Which in that case, I'm like, guys, just so many red flags. We actually got emailed at TechLore for people asking about some of these like really sketchy services, sketchy messengers, sketchy people that send you phones that are like pre-hardened, pre-installed with all this stuff. We tell everyone, stay away from this stuff. Get your own phones, flash your own stuff, install your own messengers that don't cost <laughs> so many euros every every 3 months or 6 months. Just oh my god, so many Yeah, red 3 was like $5 one time. Yeah. Even then, I'd be like, I can't justify spending money on Threema personally, but even then, yes, that's better. (laughs) I mostly got it for a review,
1: but yeah.
0: New York Attorney General forces spyware vendor to alert victims. So this comes after a $140,000 fine for spyware vendor Patrick Hinchy and includes a requirement to alert the affected victims. Um, Seems like a bare minimum, so good stuff. And a fun name first, by our Vendor. Uh, okay, our next
1: story comes from India. Google makes changes to Android and Google Play services after India CCI setbacks. So this is an update to a previous story. After the Competition Commission of India imposed a penalty on Google for monopolistic behavior, Android in India is rolling out changes. These are actually really good changes that I wish we would see everywhere. Uh, they will allow manufacturers to fork Android, including creating forks without Play services. So basically, like, any manufacturer in India now can create their own Android OS. Uh, And they will provide users the option to change the default search engine when they run the initial setup. So when they first buy the phone and they're setting it up, they will have more uh, freedom to, like, instead of just by default you've got Google, it'll prompt you, like, hey, pick a search engine. Uh, There's also a few more changes that are more developer-focused and give the developers a lot more freedom when working on apps. But, yeah, overall, I think that's some good stuff. So
0: congratulations, India. You've got to win this week. The city of Salisbury has a controversial CCTV program. A CCTV camera proposal which gets a green light despite protests. This is a headline I was taken from MSN who just reposted the linked article, but it does convey the privacy impact better. So protesters are against the cameras calling them an open air prison with no privacy pretty based not gonna lie and then the council approved it anyways only two voted against so earlier in the article police stated they don't have access to the facial recognition database but later in the article it says the council wrote the police to ask them to refrain from using facial recognition until safeguards were in place and the policy basically said no police that was a typo sorry sorry Sorry. (laughs) the police basically said no i don't know what to say to this this is just a ridiculous story i mean Um, This sucks on on all accounts. And I, yeah, so much for making people trust the police force, you know? So this next article is really interesting. The headline says
1: EU is building its own DNS service. What's in it for the everyday user? Uh, This is kind of big news and somehow has managed to slip mostly below our radars, as far as I can tell. I'm going to quote the article, which I believe comes from AdGuard, it says the project called DNS for EU was outlined was first outlined by the European Commission in December of 2021. Now, a year later, is finally taking shape. In December, a consortium of 13 public and private companies from 10 European countries won the grant to build a public DNS resolution service tailored for the EU. The consortium is led, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, consortium, consortium, is led by the Czech software company Whalebone. The project will be implemented in phases, but the public network operators will get early access to, quote, a limited free First version of the service already this year the rollout will take a total of three years during which the consortium plans to get 100 million people on board here's the part that i think makes this slightly less concerning for now at least the eu has no plans to impose dns for you on regular people although it may recommend it to public and government organizations for better internet security unquote so it sounds like this is going to be an optional thing Um, unfortunately there's probably going to be a lot of roadblocks in the way for example if uh, public and government organizations are using it It might become your ISP's default, and most people don't change the defaults. So, yeah, um, I know in the past some people have criticized us for pushing VPNs a lot because they cost money. I respect that. Um, Changing your DNS is totally one option. There's also the Tor browser. Um, Proton has a free tier. I I think Windscribe does too. So there are a lot of low-cost ways to get around this. Yeah, there's a lot of options in there that don't require you to buy a VPN. And you should change your DNS anyways, because otherwise you're going through your ISP's DNS. And at least here in America, ISPs are allowed to sell your browsing data. So, yeah, change your
0: DNS. Either use a VPN or change your DNS. All right, um, really quick one. NIST is updating its cybersecurity framework. Um, they... If you know, you know what, if you know what NIST is, you know what it is, because they're asking for your input. It's sharing as a signal boost right now because we have some knowledgeable viewers. Um, so if you're qualified, please weigh in on the new NIST cybersecurity framework. If you don't know what that is, then no need to worry about it. With that, we'll move into the free and open source software section,
1: and we have some interesting news out of Dashlane. Dashlane has published some of their source code to GitHub in a transparency push. This so far only includes mobile apps, but there are pieces for the Apple Watch and Mac apps, no Windows app apparently, and they are planning to add the web extension. They are using the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 license, which, well, okay, let me, so here in the notes. It, this is currently source available. In the past, they have said that they want to go fully open source eventually, and uh, they might, at, at the moment, they are not even accepting contributions. So even if you find a vulnerability, you can't make, like, a, a uh, what is it like a merge request or anything like that? But they might do that in the future. And the article also says that it's unlikely that they would allow forks or allow people to like self-host or reuse the code. I alluded to this earlier. They mentioned that they have held back certain key pieces of the code in order to protect their intellectual property. So yeah, this is not enough code for you to like self-host your own Dashlane. But I think what they're trying to do is publish enough to. Uh, let people see the inner workings of the cryptography and the implementation to ensure that the product is actually secure, which um, I think is a good choice. I'm really curious why there's no, like, Windows
0: code being published, but, I mean, it's a great start. So, yeah. I think this is great on a lot of accounts. I really want to see, like, 1Password do this as well. Yeah, no kidding. Um, um, That would be fantastic. And I wanted to mention a, a user on Mastodon, um, I, I did actually directly at 1Password when I posted this story on Mastodon. I'm like, when are you doing this? Um, and then someone left a comment of like, well, they need to feed themselves. And it's like, no, people, just because something is source available, or even if something is open source doesn't mean that you can't make money off of it. Um, that is a very big misconception. I mean, Bitwarden, you can even self-host your own Bitwarden. That Bitwarden was my first is a thought. Whole, <laughs> is a whole established company. They, Bitwarden just got, they were just... They have like VC <laughs> VC funding. Didn't they get like a hundred million dollars? Something like that. Yeah, they've raised Bitwarden. several million dollars recently. Let me see. Yeah, Bitwarden raised a hundred million dollars. So, to the person who left a comment saying, "How are they gonna get food on the table?" Um, you, there are many ways to make money off of still having at at minimum source available clients, and you can actually be completely open source and still make money because the reality is most people don't want to host their own password manager in the cloud. The people who do that can do that, like Bitwarden, and the people who just want to rely on Bitwarden and pay for their actual um, offerings on the cloud, then they do that as well. Don't pay for software, pay for hosting. So, um, services that are able to, not every service can do that, but the services that can definitely have a nice little niche where like, yeah, it's fair to pay for hosting, but like, it'd be cool to not have to pay for just the software. Um, on the topic of password managers, let's talk about KeePass. So KeePass was accused of having a security vulnerability for a long time now. This is actually pretty, pretty old, but it's been an unfolding argument and because of the recent password manager shenanigans that have been happening in the last several weeks with LastPass Happening for, for a while now. And then um, obviously the Bitwarden situation. KeyPass has been kind of under uh, hot water as well, but this one's a little interesting. There's definitely a twist to it. So, KeyPass is disputing a vulnerability, allowing stealthy password theft. So, the new vulnerability enables threat actors with right access to a target system to alter the KeyPass XML configuration file and inject a malicious trigger that would export the database, including all usernames and passwords, in clear text. The next time the target launches keypass and enters the master password to open and decrypt the database, the export rule will be triggered and the contents of the database will be saved to a file the attackers can later exfiltrate to a system under their control. Users have proposed fixes such as adding a confirmation prompt for silent exports or flags to disable exporting with the flags being pass or protected from changing. This proof of concept has already been published online, making it easier for malicious attackers to take advantage of it. However, KeyPass is arguing that this really isn't a vulnerability on their end because anyone who has right access to your machine could do pretty much anything, including much worse things. So I guess we will see if KeePass decides to take any action on this. But, yeah, it does sound like if someone has right access to your system, like, yeah, they can do this. But there's probably bigger concerns on your plate as well at that point. So um, it will be interesting to see if KeePass acts on this.
1: Okay, our next story is a real quick one. It comes from Tudanota. It says subfolders are here with the little emoji, with the uh, celebration emoji. Uh, Yeah, so Tutanota has added inbox folders. That's pretty much it. It's available on all platforms, including the desktop apps, I believe. And they also note that this is a requirement for the upcoming import feature. So that's another step forward towards that.
0: All right, the next one is really interesting. So this is a first look at Blend OS, another Linux distro, but this one's a little bit different, like they all are, um, as it combines and blends different distros. So it's actually a blend of... Arch, Fedora, and Ubuntu. This is not an endorsement, it's just a story. BlendOS is an immutable operating system, kind of like um, Fedora Silverblue, built around DistroBox and uses the GNOME desktop environment. It is based on Arch and GNOME on Wayland. You can always change your DE, of course, but... You can use any package manager, including Pac-Man, which is what Arch uses, DNF, which is what Fedora uses, and APT, which is what Ubuntu uses. The last two, though, have to be added manually, so I assume that pac and things like the, the AUR are what you're going to use by default here. Furthermore, DNF and APT make use of DistroBox and podman when you install a program using one of those package managers it automatically isolates them into a container for maximum security and compatibility this is super cool i really like this it is really nifty um i still think it's like the most ridiculous linux thing i've ever heard the fact that like you have to make an os that combines like all these different package managers and just further separate like it just like it just speaks to like the absolute like monstrosity that is the linux community Um, which I find ridiculous, but I think it's also kind of cool that someone actually is trying to blend this all together in a very convenient way. Also, sorry, I I kept that pretty technical. There's a lot there that would need to be explained. So if if you aren't really familiar with Linux, I apologize there. Um, Definitely a kind of a technical story, but all the Linux gurus, you're definitely going to appreciate that story, I think.
1: Okay. And then our final thought story is a quick one. Wine 8.0 has been released and plenty of improvements are included. There were roughly 8,600 total changes in this latest update. Uh, Includes, some of this stuff goes way over my head for the record, so I'm just kind of Going to list these off. It includes completion of PE conversion, which developers say this work is an important milestone towards supporting copy protection, 32-bit applications on 64-bit hosts, Windows debuggers, x86 applications on ARM, and more. Further, there has been additional work on WoW 64, which is an effort that will let 32-bit Windows apps work without any 32-bit Unix library being present. Um, So that's kind of all the technical stuff. If you're more technically minded, definitely check into that. There's also better controller support for gaming, new default light theme, RSA encryption and signing, notepad updates, accessibility updates, and much, much more. I mean, again, 8,600 total changes. There's a lot in there. So definitely check out the article if you're a Wine user or want to know more. And that'll move us into our Misfit section where we only have one story. This is kind of a quick one. It says, watch out software engineers, ChatGPT is now finding and fixing bugs in code. So this is uh, just, we're including this because this is security related. Uh, A new study asked ChatGPT to find bugs in sample code and suggest a fix. It worked better than existing programs fixing 31 out of 40 bugs. They actually did multiple passes of this. On the first pass, they only found 19 bugs which is about on par with other similar programs that automatically find bugs. But uh, because the researchers were able to talk to chat GPT and refine the bot and give it better instructions, it was able to improve to find the 31 out of 40. So we're including this because um, I believe this is going to affect security. Uh, it may affect security in a good way. It may be an additional tool that uh, programmers can use to supplement um, the bug finding process in their code or it's also possible that this will become a crutch. Uh, We see that not trying to talk any trash here, but we have seen that in the law enforcement side where, for example, facial recognition will say, this is the person and police will go out and arrest that person and then spend two weeks to let that person go. When all they had to do was take two seconds to look at the picture and go, wait a minute, this isn't the same person. Um, That is unfortunately a a human fallibility is we have a habit of saying, well, the machine is quote unquote unbiased, which is not true. And therefore, if the machine says it, it must be true and we don't question it. So, it could potentially become a crutch where people run, run their code through this kind of program and then say, hey, I didn't find any vulnerabilities, I'm good, instead of doing their full due diligence. Or like I said, it could be a good thing. It could be an initial, like, find the low-hanging fruit and then let me go through and check for the harder stuff or make sure it all went well. But either way, this could potentially affect code. So that's why we're including it.
0: And now, normally, we would be doing our Q&A. But there are no questions for us. I am so sad and i can tell that nate is sad as well so so sad so sad we're 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 going to cry it's after like that, this episode that song in scott pilgrim so sad <laughs> yes uh, i have actually seen that movie i actually know a reference that you made to yay that's a great movie crazy i'm so happy you've seen it <laughs> yeah um well if you want to ask us anything anything people that is appropriate Um, definitely go ahead and join our Patreon. We just released our lowest tier, which is just $5. So just for $5 a month, you not only get to support this free podcast, which we publish every week for free for the world, so you all can be caught up with the latest privacy and security news, but also you get to ask us questions, and there's other cool perks there, especially in the $10 tier if you want access to our uh, more thorough discussions. Today was definitely a rambly discussion, and we probably have a lot more things that are going to be included in the episode that we publish for our patrons in the $10 tier. So definitely check all that out down in the description, and also just throwing it out there again um that nate will be at monerotopia and that is a fantastic monero conference but also there's gonna be a lot of privacy and security people there just care about that as well so it's just a great all-encompassing conference go ahead and check that out as well um the code is no surveillance one so definitely check that out and go ahead and join that conference if you're interested in going to mexico city that's it for the week telegram again continues to be more sus Dashlane kind of goes open source data brokers had a data breach. Well, a data broker had a data breach and a lot more. Thank you all again for listening to the Surveillance Report. This was episode 120. And the final thing we want to ask of you is to share the podcast around. Word of mouth is really important in us getting the word of our podcast, but also just of privacy to more and more people, especially in your life, your friends and family. Definitely go ahead and lean on them and help them out make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. Um, I always check out our Apple podcast rating and I'm like, oh my God, people really love our podcast. That's so cool. So um, definitely like keep giving us the love or if you have like, actual criticism, definitely go ahead and send that along as well. Um, we want to make this podcast as good as possible. And we also want privacy as re- to reach as many people as possible. So definitely help us out in that. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you all next week.